Good morning. Welcome to uh, LifePoint Church's uh, Easter celebration or Easter sermon, Easter service. Uh, we're so happy you joined us today. Uh, Easter is a very special time of the year. It's a time where uh, we celebrate resurrection. It's also a time where it's a, a great time to uh, do some fun stuff. Uh, I always enjoy a part of our Farmington, Utah community is an Easter egg hunt, a city Easter egg hunt, and they have over 27,000 Easter eggs that, uh, that get handed out to kids. We always, as a church, are able to fill several thousand of those and, and really benefit our community in that way and disappointing thing is this year uh, with uh, with the, the COVID virus um, that was kind of postponed even all those even though all those eggs are filled and so uh, some of those things that we'd like to do just to really be part of our community here in, in Farmington uh, and also just kind of a fun thing to do as well but really as you know Easter is not so much about just the eggs and about the Easter bunny and Easter baskets and the and the Cadbury eggs my wife loves the mini Cadbury eggs that she gets this time of year not a big fan I prefer the the Reese's uh, the Reese's ones myself but uh, all those different things that are that are fun to do and 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 uh, really celebrate hey the coming of summer new life flowers are coming up tulips and, and all that this time of year this morning really what I want to talk about the is the idea of hope hope. Uh, this is probably at Easter my favorite topic to talk about. In fact, the last couple Easter's, my sermon title has basically been the exact same. Easter brings hope. Now we've gone through different passages in the Bible and looked at different passages, uh, but really this idea of hope at Easter time I think is such a poignant thing because our world is looking for hope. Our world is looking for hope. Uh, we look for hope in a lot of different things. We look for hope in uh, situations. We look for hope in money. We look for hope in relationships. We look for hope in, in, in all kinds of different places. And hope at times is grounded in really great things. And at times maybe it's not grounded in great stuff. Uh, there's a story of a little boy who uh, was in school and his teacher gave him uh, and the class a whole lot of work to do and she's like hey I want you to do all of this schoolwork um, it's gonna be due for homework tomorrow but I want you to get started on it right now so you're not doing a whole lot of it at night at, at home and she she uh, goes and starts walking around and, and this little boy Johnny is just fooling around he's not doing his work and, and the teacher kind of approaches him and says well Johnny what's what's going on why aren't you doing your work it's all due tomorrow and he goes well ma'am I am hoping for a snow day tomorrow. And the teacher kind of looked around. She's like, but, but Johnny, it's May and it's 80 degrees outside. And Johnny said, well, ma'am, I can still hope in a snow day, can't I? And so really kind of a, a silly little story there, but we see that Johnny wasn't basing his hope in reality. If it's 80 degrees outside, it's probably not going to be snowing. And I think that there's a lot of times in life where, where we kind of place our hope in very similar things. We place our hope in, in lots of things that aren't going to matter, aren't going to last, aren't going to really be here uh, maybe in the long term or, or for eternity. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at just a couple verses in the book of 1 Peter and kind of go through what Peter talks about with that, this idea of hope and how Easter is the cause of that. Easter is the cause of that. So if you have your Bibles, <clears throat> let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 3, 4, and 5 today. 
First Peter one verses three through five. And it says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be re revealed in the last time. So Peter here, starting a letter to some people who are going through um, a really kind of some extreme persecution, begins this with giving them hope, giving them something that they can hold on to and latch on to. This idea, this idea of Jesus being risen from the dead, the resurrection, is something that Peter would have been acutely aware of. He experienced it. And so now he's telling his audience, hey, Pay attention to this. This brings hope. So let's start walking through real quick and see some of the things that we see provide hope. The first thing I want to look at in verse 3 is the idea that God is to be praised. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, God is to be praised. First thing he's to be praised for is, is who he is. The fact that God is completely transcendent from us. He's completely removed from us. He is, he's so different from us. He's not a person who ever was a person. He is God. I am not. Now, so often I treat myself like I am God. I want to be God. I act like God. Uh, maybe it's just with my family. Maybe it's with uh, all kinds of other things. But the, the truth is, I'm not God. I never can be God and I never will be God. The cool thing about God and one of the things that is so greatly to be praised is that, yes, he is so much higher and, and removed from us, but yet he, he's imminent. He's here. He became a man. That is what we celebrate at Easter, that Jesus became, who, who was fully God, became fully man as well. The 100% God-man, 100% God, 100% man. And this God-man came to earth, came as a baby, came as one of his creations. He lived the perfect life that, that I'm not capable of living, that you're not capable of living. He died the death that we deserved, and then he rose to new life again. And so he actually became one of us so that he could take our punishment for sin. And that is one of the things that we celebrate about God as well. We praise him for that. He is so much higher than us, but he doesn't, in a sense, wield that in, this, in a way that we are not capable of coming to him. No, he made the way that we can. It's not something that we had to do, but something that he did for us. And so we praise him, praise him for who he is, praise him for his characteristics. He is just he is righteous. He is holy. He is loving. He is merciful. He is gracious. How all of those work together, none of us can fully understand because he is God and we are not. And yet all of those do. He is all of those things at the same time. And then if we look down at verse, uh, as we keep looking at verse three, we see another thing to be praised for. And that's kind of the idea of for him giving us new birth. We mentioned this a minute ago, but he says, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He has given us new life, new birth. We are a new creation. How does this happen? Well, we mentioned it a second ago, but it is really when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus alone, this idea that he came, he lived perfectly, he died on the cross to take our punishment for our sins, and we put our faith and our trust in him alone. That is what the Bible again and again reveals, produces new life.
It's not just mental ascent of, yeah, Jesus was God, Jesus did this, but it is really me going all in with Jesus. And when we do this, he talks about this idea that we are born again. New birth creates new life. It's not just a new lease on life, but it is actually a new life, a new life. We deserve judgment and wrath. That is what we deserved. That is what we still deserve due to our sin. And yet, what did God respond with? What does it say? According to his great mercy. God initiated in producing new life. It was nothing that I did. It's nothing that you did. It's all what God did. And what did he do? In his great mercy, he did something for us. He looked at us and had compassion to a people who didn't deserve compassion. He looked at us and he said, I love you to a people who hated him. What incredible news for us. What incredible news. God had mercy on us. And so as we had this mercy, he caused us to be born again. What I want to look at the rest of this morning is the idea of what, do, what does this new life result in? What does the resurrection result in for us? So we believe that Jesus died and he rose again. What does that matter? How does that actually provide hope? So let's look here. Very first thing that we see is the resurrection actually provides a living hope. You've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection. This living hope, it's real. It's genuine in contrast to a fleeting hope, in contrast to something that is not real or genuine. There are tons of things that people put their hope in, as we mentioned at the very beginning. You may have put your hope in a 401k or an IRA. Recently, we've seen what those have done with, uh, with the stock market being extremely volatile. We see some people put their hope in, in, in health, maybe in their, in, in their diet plan, in their exercise. All of those things are great, but they're not going to last forever. We know that the reality for each one of us someday is death. No matter how well we take care of ourselves or don't, we're all going to end up in that same place. So as we think about this, our hope can't be based in just our external circumstances. Sometimes those things go beyond your control. Our hope has to be placed outside of ourselves. And Jesus says, hey, place it in me. Place it in me. And this hope is based in the reality of the resurrection. And one thing I think that is very interesting is both really kind of Peter here, but Paul talk about the idea of, hey, if the resurrection is not true, Christianity is worthless. It is null and it is void and it doesn't matter. Now, both of those guys who would have known <laughs> placed their faith and their trust in that completely. But they are very clear that the resurrection matters and it is the basis for everything else that we do. God has told us that he is going to raise people up from the dead again. Someday, everybody will raise. Places like Isaiah 26, John 5, verse 28, Acts 24, Revelation 20, just to name a few. God will raise people again. Now, we don't have to believe that, right? People can believe whatever they want to, but it doesn't change reality. I can believe God doesn't exist, but whether he exists or not isn't determined by what I believe. It is determined by reality. And I don't have to believe reality, but it doesn't mean that I'm right. Not all opinions are equal. Either God exists or God doesn't. <laughs> That's the option, right? And my, my belief doesn't change that. So how can we, how can we believe in the resurrection? 
And I think this is one thing where kind of the rubber meets the road because do we see, you know, the Bible says, hey, someday everybody's going to raise again. But do we see that happening currently? Well, well, no, we don't see the graves opening and people coming out. And so sometimes when we don't see stuff and we don't see stuff happening um, before us, we tend to doubt, right? We tend to, tend to uh, think, well, yeah, maybe, probably not, right? That's, that's not, that's not going to happen. But when Jesus rose again, we see that it changed the lives of those who he was around previously. And what I mean is, if you look at even Peter, who wrote this book, we see Peter, he was kind of a bombastic figure. He, he was very bold. He would say what was on his mind. Um, Peter was probably a pretty fun dude to hang out with for that. You never had to worry whether he liked you or not. I'm sure he would have told you. Uh, he is... He gets a bad rap for a lot of reasons. One, uh, you know, if you look through the Gospels, we see that at one point he, he jumps out of the boat when Jesus, Jesus is walking in the water, and he begins to walk in the water. He looks at the waves, gets scared, and, and starts to sink and cries out for Jesus to save him, which Jesus does. The reason Peter gets a bad rap there is, yeah, he, he, his faith was a little bit shaken, but he's the only one that had faith to actually get out of the boat in the first place. We also see Peter, uh, right before Jesus is crucified at the Last Supper, Jesus tells him what's going to happen and how everybody's going to abandon him. And Peter is like, God, I will never do that. In fact, if I need to, I will go, I, I will go, to, uh, go to my death. I will not forsake you. Well, later that night, they go to the, <clears throat> the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane, and soldiers come to arrest Jesus. And there is one figure there who actually, from what we see, stands up for Jesus. Who is that? It's Peter. Peter takes out a little sword that he's been probably hiding somewhere, and he goes after one of the servants of the high priest. His name is Malchus, and he cuts off Malchus's ear. Now, with that, uh, when he cuts off Malchus's ear, Jesus tells him to stop, and Jesus heals it. Do we think Peter was actually trying to cut off Malchus's ear? Well, no, he probably just wasn't very good with the sword and or Malchus was a little bit quicker and moved his head out of the way. But Peter was, in a sense, putting his money where his mouth was. He was willing to stand up for Jesus, <clears throat> in fact, to the point of getting in a fight. This wasn't God's plan, but in Peter's mind, it was what he was supposed to do. Now, we proceed a little bit later that night and we see that all the disciples scatter just like Jesus said, but there are two that follow behind Jesus being taken away. And one of them is Peter. The other one is not named, but it seems very likely that it's John, since John's gospel is the one accounting it, and John refers to himself in some of the ways that this does. And they, they follow behind from a distance. So everybody scatters except for two who follow behind. All the other guys are scared enough not even to follow behind. Peter and John follow behind at a distance. They get to the high priest's house. John is apparently known to the high priest because he gains entry. And you can read this in John's, uh, John's uh, account there in, in his gospel, and it's kind of fascinating. He has eyewitness accounts like, hey, hey, the fire that was burning there was a charcoal fire, uh, and, and some of these things. And so John gains entry, he goes out to the servant girl and kind of vouches for Peter, so Peter gains entry. So Peter and John are at the, uh, kind of at this illegal trial of Jesus, and this is where Peter denies Jesus three times. And again, this predicts, uh, this fulfills what Jesus predicted, that, hey, Peter, you're going to deny me. But again, Peter kind of gets a bad rap in the sense that, where's the other ten, where are the other ten disciples? <laughs> well, they're nowhere to be found, right? 
And so Peter, uh, for all the bad stuff that he does, really still has um, some fortitude there. Once he denies Jesus three times, he runs away crying, as you can imagine, uh, just broken up that, hey, what Jesus predicted actually came true. I think is a very good reminder for us sometimes where we, we look at certain things like, oh, I can never do that and realize, hey, um, in our own sinful nature, we definitely can. So Peter, after this, Jesus, when he resurrects from the dead, interacts with Peter. Uh, we see that Jesus resurrects. The women go to the, the grave and nobody's there. Jesus is resurrected. They run to tell the disciples. The disciples don't believe them. But just because the disciples don't believe them, there are two that actually go to see for themselves. If you guess the first two right, uh, probably going to be the same two, and it is. It's Peter and John. John is probably younger. He runs ahead. He's faster. Maybe he's in better shape, whatever. He gets there first. He stops, looks in, and sees there's nobody there. Peter runs full long into the tomb and sees all the, all the, all the um, garments are there. They're folded. Jesus is risen from the dead. Jesus comes that night. He appears to them through, miraculously through a locked door. The disciples are hiding in a locked room because they're fearful. Why? Jesus, their leader, just was crucified by the Jews. They're feel, fearful for themselves that they'll be next. Probably a logical conclusion in some ways. Jesus comes and says, don't be afraid. I told you about this. Go to Galilee. Well, there's one disciple there who's not, who's not there. His name's Thomas. And unfortunately for him, this is about the only thing we ever remember about him, doubting Thomas. He says, unless I see Jesus, put my fingers in the nails and in, the, in, 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 the, in his hands and feet, I'm not going to believe. Well, Jesus comes back, reveals himself, and Thomas falls down. My, it's my Savior, my God. And then they go up to Galilee. Jesus again appears. He does a miracle where Peter and John are out fishing in a boat. They catch nothing all night, which sadly probably is somewhat reminiscent of my fishing story sometimes. You go fishing and you catch nothing. It's always humbling when, you're, when your nine-year-old daughter catches more fish than you do, uh, which happens sometimes, and that's great for her, humbling for me. But that's Peter. He's a fisherman by trade. They're out fishing, probably just to clear the head and, and do something that they enjoyed. Jesus comes and says, hey, here's all the, the fish on the other side. They cast the net. Peter does, and then Jesus responds and really asks him, hey, are you going to feed my sheep? Are you going to be a pastor? And asks him three times, really probably sim symbolizing more than anything the three, three denials that Peter gave him. And then the rest of the time we look in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit comes, who is the person that is out there not denying Jesus, but who is the person who is the one preaching? It's Peter. He is the one who to the, to the, to, to the um, officials and the guards later when he gets arrested for preaching, hey, you know what, him and John, we're going to keep doing it. Arrest us if you want. To the point where Jesus' prediction of he was going to be crucified came true. And according to every church tradition that we have, every piece of information, Peter actually uh, got crucified upside down because he said he wasn't worthy to be crucified the same way Jesus was. Here is a man who at one point was scared. He was scared for his life. And then he was willing to go to prison. He was willing to be, to be martyred for this reality. There was ideas back there, still even today, hey, where did Jesus go? He's not in the tomb. Well, the disciples stole the body. Peter would have known if that was the case. Maybe he was just crazy. And maybe he stole the body and thought, hey, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and, and, and tell this lie and whatever. Well, he didn't really become, become super famous from it, probably. He definitely didn't probably become very rich from it. And he ended up dying for it. Maybe he died for a lie. There are some people out there that have done that, maybe that, whatever. But when you start looking, 
all of Jesus' disciples, all uh, his apostles, all 12 of them, except for John, end up dying a martyr's death. One person might be crazy. All of them? None of them recanted at the end? Not very logical. They knew something, and they knew the reality of the resurrection. Thomas, according to tradition, was martyred by being uh, drowned in a river, probably all the way over in India. He took the gospel that far because what? It matters. People need to know about who Jesus is. We see this idea that the resurrection changes lives. It makes people who doubt, it makes people who are timid, who are afraid, who are scared, be bold to the point of death. The resurrection matters. So we can have hope because of that. The resurrection is true because Jesus rose from the dead. We can have hope of the truthfulness of everything that God said because of that. We can have hope for life eternal because Jesus rose to life eternal. If nobody, if Jesus hadn't resurrected from the grave, if he was still dead, what hope do we have for the resurrection? Not much. But the fact that Jesus resurrected from the dead and said, someday you will too, gives us great hope that it's true, that we will. We can know, know that whatever happens, that whatever trials we go through, and as we, we see, even after this, uh, in verse, really down, you get to like verse 6, and we see how the people are going through trials. All throughout all of that, all the trials we face, our hope isn't in this life. Obviously, we want to use our life the best that we can, and we do everything that we can for that. But this isn't where our hope is to be placed. Our hope is to be placed in the future, in the next life. Second thing that we see, that result of, uh, really of the resurrection, the result of new life, is that we have an inheritance. Look at verse 4. We've been, uh, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded. We have an inheritance New heaven and new earth. We see 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 talks about that. Revelation uh, 21 talks about this new heaven, new earth. An inheritance. What is an inheritance? Well, it's something that somebody else gives you. Sometimes it's because of family. Sometimes somebody just really liked you for some reason. They give you an inheritance. Uh, I've always joked that, hey, I would love to get in somebody's inheritance uh, that, uh, that maybe I don't know real well. Uh, one of those uh, things that you always hear those stories of, wow, I had this great long lost uncle that I didn't really even know. And I was in his will. Right? That's, uh, those stories are always fun. Well, that's kind of the situation here that we have an inheritance waiting for us. One that we don't really probably think about a whole lot, but one that we should. This inheritance is described as what? Imperishable. It can't perish or be corrupted. Uh, you know, I mean, there's things that get handed down. Maybe it's a painting, uh, a very special painting. It can get corrupted. It can perish. Maybe a fire uh, unfortunately hits it or something. Uh, some of those things happen. It is uh, undefiled. It can't spoil. It doesn't lose its value. It doesn't lose its beauty. Certain things uh, that maybe were super valuable some years ago aren't super valuable today. I remember when I was younger, Beanie Babies were all the craze, and some of them were super valuable, and today they're, they're worth almost nothing unfading it lasts forever it doesn't fade when i was younger we as a family I, we were given some couches i remember and they were they were older couches to begin with but over the years you don't even think about it they were in front of a window and the sun faded those couches you didn't see it until you moved them to vacuum and all of a sudden the color on the front of the couch was completely different than the color on the back of the couch 
That stuff doesn't happen with our eternal rewards. This world is not our home. It's not to be what we're living for. And then he says that this, this inheritance is kept secure in heaven. My friends, that's more secure than Fort Knox. It can't be hacked. It can't be stolen. It can't be broken into. It is secure. Why? Because God himself is securing our inheritance. Kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed to the last time. The so last thing, the last result of new life is future lasting eternal salvation eternal salvation really the idea of salvation to its fullest extent salvation in the bible is described in three ways one is a past action there is a point in time in life where a person becomes saved that new birth right whether they know it or not there's a time if they are truly a follower of jesus hey this is when Maybe the really big word for that is called justification, right? God declares you righteous. There's also a present tense. I am being saved in the sense of sanctification, the big word. I am becoming more like Jesus. And then there's the future. I will be fully saved, glorification. And that's what he's talking about here, this glorification of when someday we, we get to the new heaven, new earth, and we spend eternity with Jesus. And that's what eternity is about, spending it with Jesus, worshiping Him, worshiping everything that He has done for us. How is it secure? Well, it's protected by God. It's protected by God. It's guarded by God. And what's interesting is there's kind of a, a both and here. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed for the last time. So our response is what? It's faith. We have to have faith. But who is the one that actually guards our faith? It's God. So our response is we have to have faith. And God's response is, if we truly have faith, He will actually protect that faith. This is the idea that all people who are true followers of Jesus will persevere to the end. That's why when somebody says, well, I used to believe, but I don't now. It never was true faith. The Bible makes that clear. Uh, John chapter 10 talks about this idea of, uh, of um, all who are, are uh, in God's hand, He will not let go. So God is actually guarding and protecting our faith response as well as our inheritance. Easter brings hope. As we see even in these verses, we have hope for a new life, hope to be born again. We have hope uh, in our resurrection from the dead. We have hope in inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Paul talks about that in multiples, of his, in multiples of his letters as well. And we have hope that we are being guarded ourselves and our inheritance is be, being regarded till that last time. So my friends, this morning, I guess my question for you is on this Easter Sunday, what is your hope in? Is your hope in money? Is your hope in uh, your job? Is your hope in your health? Is your hope in friends? Is your hope in your family? Is your hope in anything besides Jesus? If not, today make Jesus your hope. Make Jesus your hope. He came to earth to live the life that you aren't capable of living. God demands perfection. And my friends, none of us are. But Jesus was. He died on the cross to take our place. And he rose to, do, to new life. Eternal life. Something that all of us someday will spend either in God's presence or, uh, or out of God's presence. In hell. What are you placing your hope in? If you have already placed your hope in Jesus previously, praise him. 
think through these things. Imagine, just try to imagine what that inheritance will look like, what spending eternity will look like, what the, the, the streets so pure, as gold so pure that they shine brightly like a mirror, what all the colors are that Revelation describes, how amazing that will be, and praise God for it. Because you know what? We didn't come up with this on our own. We're not capable of it. But God is. God is the one who is capable of doing all of those things. So this morning, your hope is placed in God and God alone. Hope you have a great Easter. Hope you have a great rest of your uh, Sunday. Uh, hope you enjoy the ham that you're eating or whatever else. And as always, if you have questions, uh, feel free to reach out. Uh, my name's Phil. I'm uh, one of the pastors here. I'd love to talk with you. Um, sit down with you and just chat or uh, any other way. So feel free to reach out and we'd love to interact with you in any way we possibly can. Hope that you have a great rest of your day. Bye-bye. stuff. Uh, I always enjoy part of our Farmington, Utah community is an Easter egg hunt, city Easter egg hunt.